wonderful to be with all of you tonight as we celebrate this Christmas Eve. I'm Randy Bear, the transitional pastor here at Grace Commons, and there's a very good chance this will be our final Christmas serving in that role. That's one of the mixture of feelings that Carrie and I have as we come to this Christmas season. And I think if you're like uh, Carl put so beautifully earlier, this is a time of a mix of feelings. But I'm going to start with joy. This week, Facebook sent me a memory. It was a video that I filmed of our granddaughter a few days before Christmas eight years ago. So let's watch that. That was Palm Beach, folks. <clears throat> Carrie and I were serving. Uh, I was the pastor at, uh, in West Palm Beach, and we had the delight of hosting our family for, for Christmas week. Next week, I'll have the delight of celebrating her with Carrie, her 11th birthday. But if I'm honest, the arrival of Christmas brings other more complex emotions. I often feel wistful this time of year. The days are shorter. It gets dark way too early. And winter has definitively arrived. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. <clears throat> this month, uh, I was reading Atlantic Monthly and it reminded me that this is the 100th anniversary, December uh, marks 100 years ago of a, the publishing of Wasteland, a poem by T.S. Eliot. Eliot wrote Wasteland in 1922 as the world was rebuilding after World War I, the war to end all wars, it was called, followed by the great pandemic of 1918. Now you probably know this poem from the opening four lines that forever change how we view the month of April. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. The rest of the, the poem is, is difficult, it's often bleak, and it reflected the despair of a generation that had frankly lost their faith in God. In verse after verse, Eliot gives voice to the weariness of a world that had seemingly gone mad. Here's how one writer summarizes Eliot's poetic vision. To read the wasteland is to encounter a soul in search of meaning, a mind grasping the implications of a world with no God. Like other intellectuals at the time, Eliot had thought that art and culture might take God's place in creating meaning. But he eventually saw the futility of this hope a recognition powerfully portrayed in the wasteland. 
At the end of the century, end of the year issue, Time Magazine named Wasteland the best poem of the 20th century. So Eliot is seen as the poet who powerfully expresses the first part of our theme this Advent and Christmas, a weary world. But the Apostle John, in a poem written at the beginning of the first century, reveals the God who breaks into this weary world with the joy of the good news of a savior and a kingdom that will one day end the weariness forever. I still, still remember reading the words Carl read for us in the original language in my beginning Greek class over 40 years ago. My professor had a newly minted PhD from the University of California, Berkeley in classics. All of the students, there were four of us, were Christians. Our professor was not. We knew John's gospel well in English. Our professor had learned her Greek by reading Plato, Aristotle, and the Greek poets. She had never read the New Testament. So imagine us in that class stumbling along, reciting Greek like children, learning how to read. I'm sure our professor was utterly bored. So she read ahead. And I still remember that first day of class when suddenly she stopped us and said out loud, why have I never read this before? The true meaning of Christmas had captured her mind and heart for the first time. As I read John's words again this week, I'm not surprised by her reaction. These verses express the most profound mysteries of the Christian faith more deeply and yet more simply than anywhere else. The doctrines of the Holy Trinity, the person of Christ, his dual nature, the rejection of Jesus by his own people, the weary world, and the joy of salvation for those like John the Baptist and John the Apostle who decided, John in the womb of Elizabeth, to follow Jesus. All these themes are caught and captured in the simplest of language. John's gospel is like an ocean, so deep and wide that you never finish exploring it. And yet you can get in the water and splash around joyfully like a little child. John had a gift to put the deepest truths in plain language. So on Christmas Eve, we've heard the words which express the astonishing truth of what happened on that holy night. The eternal God, creator of the universe, came in human flesh to bring the thrill of hope, the joy of salvation. There is nothing more profound and mysterious than this. Try to wrap your mind around it this week. It's like the greatest Christmas present in the world, wrapped in plain brown paper. The first verse is utterly profound. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the Trinity in one sentence. It's also in the beginning. John is deliberately echoing the opening verses of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 1, where God, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 
In other words, God was there at the Big Bang. And Jesus was there and the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. But as awesome as creation out of nothing is, John is saying that the one born in the manger is at the center of God's creative action. Genesis Genesis 1 goes on, and God said, let there be light. And God, Jesus brings that light. And this mystery that John reveals is not an impersonal force. That was the logos in Greek, the word, but it's a person. The person is called the word, and the person is face to face with God. In the beginning with God, all things made through him. Without him, nothing made that was made. Now maybe you're thinking, thank you for stating the obvious, Pastor. What good does it do? What difference does it make in my life? In a word, everything. Because of what this divine Christ has within him and what he brings, John says, in him was life, and the life was the light. The light shines in the darkness, the darkness of our weary world, but the darkness has not overcome it. This is the life and the light that we need and we do not have apart from Christ. Eliot wrote The Wasteland just six years before he came to know the light of Jesus Christ. He was baptized in 1928 in the Anglican Church. He discovered that it is only Christ's light and life that can pierce the darkness and illumine our way giving light to our souls. His second greatest poem, Four Quartets, was written much later. As a Christian, I recommend to your reading. We're beginning now to unwrap the real mystery and joy of Christmas. The eternal God did not stay aloof and remote, detached and distant from his creation. John tells us this in perhaps the most profound sentence ever written. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson translates that, the word moved into our neighborhood. Angels pause and bend their knees as they ponder the mystery in the words, the word became flesh. The fancy term for this is incarnation the enfleshment that happened when the Son of God became the Son of Mary. How is this possible? With God, all things are possible. The creator of the universe born this night, the Son of a Virgin, the one whom the galaxies cannot contain lying in a manger. Poets and preachers and hymn writers have marveled over this mystery for centuries. Luther, Calvin, John, and Charles Wesley simply couldn't get over this. It stopped them in their tracks. This is the hiddenness of Christmas, that a child is son of God and savior of the world. That's how God does it, doing great things in lowly ways. A king 
dying on a cross. New birth through water and the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, the word dwelt is tabernacled. It's the same word used for the Old Testament tabernacle, the dwelling place of God with his people. The tabernacle was the place where he forgave their sins as they sacrificed to him. And that is what Christ has become for us. God's tabernacle in the midst of his people. Christ Jesus is the ultimate and final sacrifice for all our sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the Son of God this night became one of us, experienced our weary world, took upon himself all of its despair and darkness so that he could transform it. He began a movement called the Kingdom of God that one day will be realized in its fullness. The weariness will dissipate for eternity. This is the gospel. It's the good news of our Christian faith, friends. Let's return to my Greek professor. A week after that first class, she came back. We met Friday afternoons. And she said, I want to tell you something. Last week, I went from our class to happy hour with my, the department faculty. Before I went, I read the entire Gospel of John, of course, in Greek. And she started to share how blown away she was by Jesus. She invited her skeptical friends to read it for themselves. She's a modern-day woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, who met Jesus in such a humble way, teaching a bunch of beginning Christian Greek students, and God captured her, full of grace and truth. That's how Jesus comes among us. A professor experienced the joy of Christmas as she opened the gift of John's Gospel for the first time. A poet, the, perhaps the greatest of the 20th century, came into full faith and spent his life speaking to the very friends who had abandoned God when he was a youth. A weary world can find unimaginable joy. Christmas is here tonight. Open the gift that God has for you. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this night, this gift of your very own Son, your beloved, who came, who lived among us, who healed the sick, cast out demons, suffered the rejection of his own people, and died on the cross so that we might know joy, life, salvation. Fill us, Lord, with the grace and truth. Fill us with it this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.